and welcome to episode four of the Random Thoughts podcast. That's R-A-N-D-U-M-B Thoughts. Look us up on the iTunes podcast listing, the Google podcast listing, or randomthoughts.com. Any of those places you can subscribe to the podcast. If you like what you're hearing, tell a friend. If you hate what you're hearing, tell two or three. Any kind of publicity is good publicity for a new show like ours. I am Darren O'Neill. I'm your host on today's show. I wanted to talk about what it means to be a fan, not of a team, because being a fan of a team is a little bit of a different thing, but being a fan of an individual person. And there's a lot of that going on in today's world, just because of the internet, where you can follow people on Instagram and Twitters and all those kind of things, where if you're a fan of a team, you're usually a fan of that team for most, if not all of your life. And it really is hard, I think, to change allegiances for most people. Most people don't grow up as a fan of one team and then jump over to another. Even if you move late in life, you're always going to be a fan of your original hometown team. There's that allegiance there. Players come and go. Managers and coaches come and go. But you stay true to that original team. And there maybe is a complete podcast and why people feel that allegiance to those teams and that. But I wanted to talk about something a little bit more personal on today's show, and that is being a fan of an individual, whether that is a musician, singer, whether it's a author or an actor or an actress or a model. There's a lot of that going on on Instagram now. What it means to be a fan, what that relationship looks like, and the implications that it causes when something tragic happens as it did this past week when Anthony Bourdain was found in a Paris hotel room dead of an apparent suicide. Now, if you don't know who Anthony Bourdain is, Google's your friend, but he was a world-renowned chef, author, television personality. Uh, his, His resume was very long. The thing that I always appreciated about Anthony Bourdain was that he burst our bubble. I think everybody lives in a fairly small bubble and the world that we live in exists in a very small time and place. You know, most of us, you know, we, we grow up, we live in a very similar area. We work in a similar area. Sure. You go on vacations now or then, but you, you spend a majority of your life in a small geographical area and Anthony Bourdain was a guy that went out to all corners of the world, places where he was probably a little bit nuts to go to, but he was able to get access to these places. He traveled to these places and he chronicled what he was doing, who he met, the food he was eating, and he brought all of that into our living rooms or into our now onto our phones or tablets or however you like to consume your media. But me being old school, it was, you know, it started out bringing it to the living room. It opened up the world. It allowed me to see places that I would never go. He would be talking to people that I was never going to meet. And you learned a lot about different cultures and you learned a lot about different areas of the world. And you realize that while people can be very, very different, they're also some bedrock things that make us all the same. And I know that sounds cliche, but I think we forget that a lot now because civility seems to be gone. 
especially people with whom you disagree with politically lately. Civility seems to be gone and not only on the face bags and the tweeters and those kind of places. Civility is gone everywhere, as was pointed out by the actions of once I thought would be a legendary actor, Robert De Niro. Now I think he's just kind of a douchebag because I disagreed vehemently with the Clintons, vehemently with the politics of Barack Obama, but never just stood out there and said, fuck Barack Obama. I don't know what Robert De Niro thinks he was trying to accomplish, except just looking for cheap praise from the already captive liberal audience in front of him. Yay, way to stand up, douchebag. But I don't know what he was really trying to accomplish. What he ended up accomplishing was absolutely zero, except pissing off about half of his fan base, which people, when they stop paying for your work, you know, it's going to it's going to take a hit when you lose half of your fan base. But this is the difference between guys like Robert De Niro and guys like Anthony Bourdain, because Anthony Bourdain, I differed politically, I'm sure, on a ton of things with Anthony Bourdain, but he never belittled something he didn't agree with. On the exact opposite end of the spectrum, he was always the champion for people having the freedom to express what they wanted to express. Whether he agreed with it or not, he understood that the bedrock of a free society was being able to have a difference of opinion and being able to express that freely. Without that, you have nothing. You have no freedom. You don't learn anything. And I believe Anthony Bourdain in his travels taught us so much and expanded all of our worlds. And it really hit home when he died, whether it was by tragic means or not, there is now a void there because that voice, that, that sense of reason that he brought is no longer there. I mean, he sat down, you can see all these things after his death. A lot of the interviews were reposted and a lot of the content that he put out, people were talking about, you know, hey, what their favorites were and all these, they were posting different clips. And it was amazing when you really sat down and looked at what he had accomplished over the years where he was able to sit down with guys like Barack, not like Barack Obama. He sat down with Barack Obama and also guys, Ted Nugent, not like Ted Nugent. He sat down with Ted Nugent. Now. If you're going to be making a map of the political spectrum, Barack Obama, about as far left as you can go, Ted Nugent, about as far right as you can go. The guys that are further left and further right than the two of them, there's not a lot. There's maybe a handful. Almost everybody is in between those two guys. And Anthony Bourdain was able to sit down with both of them and have a legitimate, productive, non-name-calling, informative conversation. We're missing a lot of that in this world right now with the loss of Anthony Bourdain. You know, maybe it was because he was a chef. Maybe, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't a political pundit. So maybe that helped out with him being able to, to find something with everybody to what he can talk, where he could talk to them and find something to you know, find a jumping off point because everybody agrees about something and everybody loves food. I believe I've never met anybody that was like, no, I hate food. 
So maybe that was the secret. Maybe we need more chefs to go fix the world, even though a lot are absolutely nuts and have problems as as Anthony Bourdain did. And that's how he came to light. That's how he became famous. It wasn't that he was such a good cook. It wasn't that he was such a good chef. He just happened to be one hell of a writer. And also being a chef that his writing got him noticed, pole vaulted him then to the TV shows and uh, and off he went. But we see guys like Bourdain and we see them on TV and it's like they're a friend. And I mean, I'm not saying like I'm crazy and think Anthony Bourdain came and talked to me, but being able to watch his travel logs, watch his television shows, you get a sense that you know the person. And if you're listening, well, you are listening to a podcast right now. So obviously you listen to podcasts and you understand that that's usually the way podcasts go. They're a very personal thing. People are talking directly to you. You're part of a conversation, even though you're not talking back right now, but you're part of a conversation and you're, you're getting into the inner mind of somebody else and you're hearing their thoughts and their dreams and what their viewpoint of the world is. And Anthony Bourdain gave his all when it came to that. And the fact that it wasn't apparent that he was feeling suicidal, it wasn't apparent that he was in a very dark place. He had been in the past. He had problems in the past. If you're not aware of his, of his track record, he had drug issues and alcohol and everything, but things seemed to be going better. He was in a, well, Depends there as far as the relationship, because it seemed to be a good, stable relationship. But some of his friends were saying that maybe he was too much in love. And maybe this is a bipolar thing. And that's not really what we're here to discuss. Again, maybe a different podcast. His loss, though, hits people very personally. And, you know, I felt it. My wife felt it. Uh, We were out with another friend whose son has been uh, traveling the world with his wife because of his job. And we were out with his mom, actually, and, and she told us that he really had been hit hard by the news of Anthony Bourdain passing because he was one of the big reasons that made him want to do what he's doing, to travel the world, to go meet new people. And I don't know if Anthony Bourdain even had that that concept of himself that there are people out there living their lives differently and in a good way because of him. You know, it's interesting that the, the way the internet brings people to us, whether it's again, through any of the different social media channels, you know, YouTube or Instagram, Twitters, and we get an inside look, at least we think we do. But you get to know those people a little bit better to the point to where you kind of feel like you know them and you feel it when they when they do something like kill themselves because it's like, wow, you know, how how did that happen? Nobody saw it coming. And I can only imagine how it affects the people that actually knew him because he's leaving such a hole with people that just experienced the content that he had put out. In a similar sad story, the political commentator that has worked for uh, Fox News for years, Charles Krauthammer, just announced that he had been off the air for about a year now. And we knew he had been going under medical issues, had had to have a surgery about 10 months ago. And the word was always that he was progressing and coming back. 
And he was a guy who had physical problems throughout his whole life. But he announced that the doctors told him that his cancer had returned and he only had a few weeks to live. And I, and I called up and I was talking to my mom because she was a fan of his. And she had just heard it had popped up on her phone and she was crying. And she's like, this is, you know, she's like, this is crazy. I, I don't know this guy. You know, I, I've never met him, but you know, I'm, this is very, it's very sad. And it's like, yes, it's because it's, it's exactly of, because of this, you feel like, you know, them. And even though it's a very one-sided relationship, you really get to know the person on a personal level. And it's not like you're just watching a movie where somebody's playing a part because then it's always a part. But the media of today is allowing people big and small, you know, idiots like me to come out and talk to you and give you my opinion. And hopefully you get to know me a little bit better. But this media has allowed so many people to put their real selves out there that you really do have more of a connection with them than you ever had in the past. Now, this to me is both good and bad because there are some people, the way they deal with their social media, you know, I think you can lose fans really, really quick. And it's an interesting thing because maybe you never would that never would have happened before. You know, your politics maybe would never have been discussed in the public arena where now this is kind of a, uh, this is kind of a regularity. You look at Roseanne, a lot of fans, obviously, because Roseanne came back, you know, hit the ground running with that television show and then, you know, got a little hopped up on Ambien and came out and said something that got her into a lot of hot water. And now people are just completely, you know, ready to crucify her. And to me, it's an interesting thing because, again, you don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. And we're way too willing to to make that quick jump to either jump on board to uh, or to jump on the uh, to jump on somebody that's down and virtually kick them. But why do we pick people to be fans of these days? And to me, this is an interesting kind of a concept because I differ politically, as some of you may have guessed, from a lot of the artists that I like. I mean, Bruce Springsteen, way liberal. Uh, Steve Earle, way liberal. Billy Bragg, way liberal. Love the hell out of their music. And I can separate those two things. Ted Nugent, way conservative, still love his music. You know, I there was a time in my life to where I'd let the politics really get in the way. And then I realized how just overall stupid that was unless and this is the big unless unless somebody pulls a De Niro and just becomes an asshole douchebag who wants to come out and not add to the conversation and just wants to be a vulgar prick and come out and yell, fuck the president. Now, I didn't do that to Obama or Clinton, so you just shut the fuck up, Mr. De Niro, unless you have something real to say. You're not adding to the discourse. Shut the fuck up. At least that's my viewpoint. You could have a totally different viewpoint, which is great because this is a free country still here in the United States. We pick people to be fans of because we like the product they're putting out. I like the music, don't necessarily have to agree with the politics. Now, if you're going to pick 
a podcast to listen to, a political podcast, I'm probably guessing you're going to be a fan of the guy you agree with. Because that's where I would be along the lines, you know, because you're, you know, this is the guy you agree with. You like him more. That's great. I would highly recommend, though, listening to the other guys, too. I mean, you don't have to listen every day. You don't have to listen to every episode, but it's interesting to get both sides of that point. And if you want to be well-rounded and if you really want to be a guy like Anthony Bourdain that can sit down and talk to anybody, it really helps if you've heard both sides of the argument. Because if you only have one side of the argument, you're not helping yourself and you're not helping anybody else. So then shut up and sit down like De Niro should have because you're not adding anything to the equation that is being helpful. But it's interesting when you look at the on Twitter, and I know I keep bringing that up as an example, and Instagram, but these are the only ways where the celebrities or whoever you're following, whoever you're, you are fans of, these are usually the only ways that they interact directly with their fans, especially on Twitter. It's the way to get a quick message here and there and getting a message from one of the people that you follow or even a like, I think goes a long, long way because a lot of times you'll see how many people might respond to a tweet from somebody and there's radio silence. There are the celebrities out there and I think they're really, really missing out on being able to create a much bigger fan base than whatever it is they have at that point that just post and it's a one-way street and they're, they're basically treating Twitter like they're opening the window of their penthouse apartment, yelling something down at the street, then closing those windows back up. And that's fine. That's fine and dandy if that's all you really want to do. But it's the rare people that will interact and you can't interact with everybody. I get it, but you can see that the, that the artists, that the, the people that will have a conversation on Twitter with nobodies, you know, and I'm a nobody, but the people that will respond or have a conversation usually are the ones that I want to throw my money behind because they're in the trenches. They, they don't have the attitude like, they're better than you. They are more of the regular guy. And to me, this is where the fandom again comes in. This is where that bigger bond comes in. That bigger connection comes in. If you're just yelling stuff on Twitter and you're not interacting with the fans, you know, I kind of, well, yeah, I'll read it, but I don't feel that I don't feel that kinship. I don't feel that same connection. Now, guy, not, not everybody's good at this. Not everybody's bad. One of the best, bar none that I've ever seen, as far as interacting with fans, is legendary director Kevin Smith of such greats as Tusk, Yoga Hosers, Jersey Girl, best movies ever. Okay, maybe those weren't his best, but he's a guy that if you post something, and I'm not saying that this is 100%, but I'm going to say probably in the 70% to 80% range, depending on what's going on in his crazy life at that given point. If you tweet something about Kevin Smith, I would give you a, about a 70 to 80% chance that he's going to like that tweet. 
It's absolutely amazing that he takes the time, likes these tweets, comments to people, has a conversation. And if you really want to see some fun, look for the people that say really like mean, negative things about Kevin Smith and see the responses that come back. It's absolutely delicious. And because of that, you know, my fan level went, you know, from like five or six, you know, up to about a 10. And once I started listening to his podcasts, the, the, the level jumped even more so. And it's again, because of the fact that he talks about his life, he talks about his friends, he talks about his family, he talks about what's going on with himself and you get to know the guy. And I like the guy, you know, again, if you're getting to really know somebody and you think they're an asshole, your mileage is definitely going to vary. But in the case of Kevin Smith, he is a very humble guy. He brings a lot to the table, even though I don't think he believes that he brings a lot to the table. He is a master storyteller. And I do agree with him that he's a better storyteller in audio form, which is kind of funny being that he's a movie director as his main gig. Maybe you should have just been an audiobook guy, Kevin. Um, but we love the movies, but I do. I love hearing his stories more. And he's my age, so that maybe helps. You know, again, when we're talking about why we're a fan, you know, I feel more of a kinship to Kevin Smith, even though I'm a really big fan of Willie Nelson. I love his music. I love the stories that I hear from the old days and all. But, you know, I maybe don't have as much in common with an 80-year-old to, you know, understand what's going on in their life right now. So maybe a Kevin Smith just hits me because we're the exact same age and we're going through the same, you know, getting older together or dealing with the same physical type of problems. I mean, you may have heard Kevin Smith, the too fat to fly, all that kind of thing. and. I have struggled with weight since Kevin Smith had his heart attack. He's lost 50 pounds since Kevin Smith has had his heart attack. I've lost 50 pounds. So I'm thanking Kevin Smith for, uh, you know, for kind of being that goal, not that guidepost, not a goalpost goalpost would probably be the end, but for helping be that guidepost. And I ended up with a, another issue which ended up being a gallbladder issue right after Kevin Smith was in the hospital with his heart attack. And it was causing a very bad heartburn, kind of a chest pain that didn't go away for hours. So wound up in the hospital. And I think that was really partially because, and maybe not even partially, maybe a majority because this had just happened to Kevin Smith and you you want to make sure you get these things taken care of because there's nothing worse than thinking, no, it's no big deal. I'll be fine. And then you're not. So that the fact that he had gone through that affected me in a very personal way. When I woke up the morning and saw, you know, Kevin Smith, major heart attack. It was like, whoa. You know, it's like same thing with the Anthony Bourdain. It's like it's it's really it hits you harder than you expect when it's somebody that you don't know personally, but things are blurring now. That's what this whole podcast is about. Things are blurring between whether you know somebody, you know, it's still different than being a close friend, but Kevin Smith is now, you know, that acquaintance, you know, he's the guy, you know, you know, Cal, I know more about Kevin Smith and his life than I do some relatives. So Kevin, if you want to come over for like Thanksgiving or something, that'd be cool. I would definitely appreciate spending the holidays with you 
more than some of my relatives, just, just saying. And this is the beauty of the media that you have today. You know, Kevin Smith is great and he had taken my fandom and he, he jacked that up a few different ways. And that sounds dirtier than I meant it as Kevin would say, but because of the fact that he cares about his fans, you hear the stories of people that run into him and he's a very humble guy. I don't think as long as he's not like in the middle of something running for a plane, having a meal with his wife and kids, I think if you run into Kevin Smith somewhere at an airport and he's killing time, I mean, get ready to hear stories because I think he'll just sit there and talk to you. He's that kind of a guy. And to me, those are the kind of guys I like or girls, you know, the kind that are down to earth that are just, you know, one of the gang that wants to hear what other people have to say. And I think Kevin Smith would sit there and listen to you tell him a story, too, because it would probably be good content for a podcast on down the line. So he does a better job than almost anybody when it comes to social media. So kudos to Kevin Smith for that. And the other type of fandom, which I think is interesting that we're just going to hit on here at the end of the show is when it comes to, and again, cause I'm a guy, this is where I'm going with it. Being a fan of female models. And I'm not sure if it's, if it's creepy or weird or anything, um, but the content is out there. And you follow these models on whether it's usually Instagram, you know, Twitter or that kind of a thing. And the reason that I kind of find it more creepy than anything else isn't because I want to consume the content because I don't see that there's any different. Now that Victoria's Secret doesn't publish catalogs, you bastards, why did you get rid of those? Um, I don't see the reason why I wouldn't want to follow the Victoria's Secret models on Instagram or the Victoria's Secret photographers like Russell James, who has some great uh, photo books out there. Definitely check them out. But I don't see why I wouldn't want to follow them to get the content because, you know, my Twitter feed and Instagram, those kind of things, especially the Twitter feed is so filled with negativity, whether it's, you know, sporting, which again, the White Sox, I'm a White Sox fan. They suck. So there's a lot of negativity about the White Sox. I have contributed a little to that. I hate to say it, but I've done it. Uh, following people that are into politics. Oh my God, the negativity on Twitter. It absolutely is soul crushing. So, you know, it's nice for me. I mean, maybe not for you, but it's nice for me that while scrolling down through these posts on Twitter, which is some soul crushing political arguments back and forth, whether it's about guns or Trump is a Cheeto or whatever it is, every now and then I'm going to hit a picture from a Victoria's Secret model and just go, oh, cool. Now, see that on a beach somewhere, it, it transports you, it relaxes you, it gives you some different perspective on the world because dang it, there still is some beauty in the world. And that is a good thing for me. But when I look at the Twitter and Instagram feeds from these models, it's, it's, it's scary to me. It's scary to me because usually it kind of goes like this. The model will post something. Uh, and the other day, Martha hunt, who is a Victoria's secret model posted something, you know, along the lines of, uh, you know, what makes your world worth living? Something like that. I'm paraphrasing completely because I don't remember what she said as much as I remember my answer. And it was the first time that I had ever gotten a like from any kind of Victoria's Secret model. And I went, hey, you know, that was pretty cool. I don't normally 
respond to them because that's usually just photos and that. But she asked the question like, hey, what's what makes your world worth living? And I said, good music, good coffee, good food. Got a like. And I was like, hey, cool. She's in. You know, she saw that tweet. And that's really what the like does. It says, hey, the person that you're you know, following, saw your tweet, boom, instantly validated. Kevin Smith does that better than anybody else. He doesn't look quite as hot as Martha Hunt, though, in lingerie, though. So, Kevin, sorry about that. So it was it was a feel good. You know, it was that feel good moment. But I looked at what the other responses were to that question. And about 98 percent of the answers were, please follow me. I love you. You're beautiful. Bury me. You're so hot. And I'm like, oh, my God, how are these women? on Twitter or or Instagram and have to like read this, this scary, just totally bizarre responses to this one simple tweet of, you know, what makes your world worth living? And that was immediately, it was off to the running. So hopefully Martha Hunt saw my one tweet and maybe that was the best one. And it got a like, because I was the only one that actually answered the question and didn't like go off on some kind of weird psychotic tangent. So being a fan can be weird. I get it. And social media can be really, really weird. But if it really, it works best when it's a two-way street. But I do, I fear Kevin Smith could do this very easily. Young, hot models maybe have a little bit of a harder time having a conversation on a social media platform just because the guys that are following them are completely fucking out of their mind. So who are you a fan of? Let me know. Hit me up on Twitter at Darren O'Neill, D-A-R-R-E-N-O-N-E-I-L-L, and let me know. Uh, I'm going to keep on being a fan, and hopefully uh, one day I'll be a fan of you. Follow me and uh, and say hi. Until next time, I am Darren O'Neill. Thanks for listening.